So there's nothing like a birthday milestones, right? So when you hit double digits, like when you're a little kid, that's exciting. Uh, <clears throat> when you hit 18, that's also very exciting. Uh, but then when you hit 30, like I just hit this year, that's definitely exciting. It's not my birthday today, so don't be, you know. Uh, but then when you hit 90 years old, like Chuck is turning. Uh, Chuck, can you raise your hand just so we all know who Chuck is? Chuck's birthday is tomorrow, and he's turning 90 years old. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Um, I think we should all just go over to his house and listen to all the things that he's gone through in, in 90 years. I'm sure we'd be encouraged. And, um, but happy birthday, Chuck, and um, here's to 90 more years, right? That's awesome. Um, well, it's Christmas time. Um, obviously, you can't go into any store without having to wait in a line for two hours or three hours, and especially with the way retail stores are with very limited staff, it makes the wait even longer. Um, and people lose their patience, and people start to complain and ram their carts into you. Not that that's ever happened to anyone. Um, but Christmas can bring the rejoicing out of people, but it can also bring the humbugs out of people, right? The Grinch out of people. But if we're only focusing on Christmas because of what the world has made it to be, then we're going to be disappointed. We're going to find out that Christmas is not as great as we think it is because of the way the world has presented it. But if we look at it from the standpoint of Jesus, then our hopes will be fulfilled. Uh, we will no longer be worrying about what Christmas is to the world, but what Christmas means to us as believers, because it's much more than the, the trees and the gifts they're under. It's more than just singing these traditional Frosty the Snowman songs and all that. It, it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus and how he was to be named Emmanuel, God with us. And guess what? That's still his name today. And that's good news for us because when we look at God, we don't just look at this distant figure or this uh, statue or anything. We look at God as being God with us because God is with us. Amen? Well, what does Christmas mean to you? Uh, Christmas may mean eggnog. Anybody a fan of eggnog? No? Oh, some people shivered at that. Uh, uh, or, or, or maybe Christmas means that you get to wrap presents, like my wife is now an excellent wrapper because of YouTube, um, so if you need tips or, tips or tricks, you can just go visit her. Uh, or maybe it means putting on this spread uh, for your family of, of, you know, ham and turkey and uh, what else do you eat at Christmas time? Whatever, doesn't matter. Uh, but maybe that's your thing, or, 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 or maybe it is going to the malls, like, the day before Christmas, like, because you forgot to buy your wife something. I don't know. Uh, Christmas could mean a lot of different things to us, but uh, I, I heard the story about, uh, oh, by the way, we're in Isaiah chapter 9, in case you're wondering, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, I heard the, uh, the story about a television interviewer. Uh, who took to the streets of Tokyo asking the question, what is the meaning of Christmas? And he came to one uh, woman in specific, and her response was, I don't know. Isn't that the day that Jesus died? Well, 
There's some truth to that because Jesus would be born to die, right? And Isaiah 9, as we'll be reading this morning, gives us insight into what the real meaning of Christmas is. So if you are at Isaiah chapter 9, go ahead and stand as we read together verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a, a Bible, it'll be up on the screen, but if you have a phone, you can pull it up there. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through 7, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his rod, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every brute boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. How's that for a Christmas verse? Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, this is your word. And we come to it in awe, in expectation, because we know you speak through your word. God, we pray that you would minister to our hearts whatever heaviness we might be encountering, whatever darkness we might be walking through, Lord, would you shine your light upon us, God, through the power of your word. We commit this time to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all have a seat. So Isaiah gives us insight into what Christmas is all about? What is the meaning of Christmas? If we were to ask some of the prophets in the Old Testament, and even John the Baptist when we get to the New Testament, what Christmas might mean to them, we might hear things like this. Isaiah would say, Christmas means darkness turning into light. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. If we were to ask Micah what the meaning of Christmas is all about, Micah would say it's about a ruler to come. Micah 5.2, it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. If we asked Ezekiel what Christmas would would mean to him, he would say, it's about a servant shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 23, and I will set up over them one shepherd, and he shall feed them, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And if we were to get to the New Testament and ask Mary and Joseph, well, what does Christmas mean to you guys? 
Their story would look much different than some of these prophets that we just looked at. But they probably would say it's all about Jesus. It's all about him being our savior. And they would probably reference what the angel had spoken to them in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Right? Now, for, for those of you that may need some refreshing, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Let's just clear that out. Christ is his title, the Messiah, the anointed one, right? And he is the Lord. But as a collective group, if we were to ask every single author, which is over 40 authors in the Bible, what Christmas meant to them, you would hear in harmony all of them saying, it's all about Jesus. Christmas points to Jesus. It's not about Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It is all about Jesus, After unwrapping all of his presents, a little boy was asked, did you get everything you wanted for Christmas? He waited a little bit and he said, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. See, Christmas is all about Jesus coming to us and coming for us to save us from the sin uh, that we've find ourselves in or we found ourselves in. Let's face it, though, for many of us, when it comes to Christmas time, many of us uh, have this gloom over us, this darkness, if you will, because of situations in our lives, right? The gloom of losing a loved one or the gloom of a severed relationship or the gloom of a bad breakup or the gloom of financial strain or the gloom of separation from family or the gloom of unable to find work. Or the gloom of the list goes on and on and on. Some of us, when it gets to any type of holiday season, we find ourselves to be rather gloomy, like there's this cloud over us that just won't seem to go away. And for some, when it comes to Christmas in specific, Christmas isn't what it should be because of the situation we we may find ourselves in. The context of Isaiah chapter 9, in order to understand this, we have to look back a little bit to chapter 8, right? The Jews who Isaiah is talking to uh, have been warned that one day they are going to be in Assyrian captivity, that they would have this gloom over them because of the captivity by the Assyrians. And Isaiah warns them about this in verse 22 of chapter 8. He says, and they will look on the earth, but behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into darkness. And so God is telling through Isaiah, the Jews, listen guys, you guys are going to be thrust into darkness. The Assyrians are going to take you captive. Now that would create some gloom. Uh, The Jews didn't want to be taken captive to the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a ruthless group of people. The things they did to people was absolutely uh, astounding. But there's something that got them to this point. There's something that brought them to this point. Obviously, it was the Lord's discipline, but it was also their choosing. It was also their decisions that they made, the willingness to choose the world over the Lord, right? We see it in the day and age that we're in today as people are choosing the things that the world has to offer rather than what the Lord has for them. In verses 5 through 10 of chapter 8, they chose a flood over a peaceful river. In verse 11 through 15, they chose a snare over a sanctuary. In verse 16 through 22, they chose darkness over light. 
No wonder they had a gloom over them. They chose the things that separated them from all that the Lord had for them. We have to understand this, that our choices make a difference when it comes to our placement in our season of life. Uh, Your choices will uh, directly affect where you are placed, right? They chose a flood. They placed themselves in a flood, right? They chose a snare, and so they found their place in a snare, and they chose darkness, and they found themselves in what? Darkness. See, the reason they were led into Assyrian captivity, like I said, was not just due to the the discipline from the Lord, yet God disciplined, he did discipline them for their actions, Uh, because like a good father will discipline his child, God disciplined these group, this group of people, yet it was their actions, their actions that led them to walking in the dark. You may ask the question, why am I so, in so much debt? Well, maybe you should stop spending your income on things you don't need. You're in debt because your spending choices are poor, right? Uh, where, how you spend your money will either place you in debt or out of debt. Or how about this one, why am I so anxious? Maybe you're worrying about the things you can't control. Or like, what do people think of me? Will others like me? Or am I accomplishing enough? Right? You worry about that which leads you to a place of anxiety. You're worrying. You're choosing to worry which places you in a place of anxiety. Now, I think when, when we get placed in these, I think our immediate response is, well, because I'm in the darkness, it's all the devil's fault. He made me do it. The devil can't make you do anything, right? He can't make you choose anything. It's called free will, and you get to choose. You get to choose to to pick flood over a peaceful river, snare over sanctuary, or darkness over light. You get to choose. And the Jews sought out the complete opposite of what God had for them. But when we are in the dark... There's this promise that God has for us that if we would just heed his voice, if we would just heed his word, we would see the light. We would understand what it means to be placed in the light. Verse 1, it says in chapter 9, it says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Why? Because verse 2 gives us the answer. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shown. See, Matthew quotes these verses. He loose paraphrases them, if you will. In Matthew 4, verse 13 through 16, he says, in leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about how Jesus left Nazareth, went to Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Kind of sounds like two Star Trek characters. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them light has dawned. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. Jesus showed up, and he changed everything in that region. What was Isaiah saying? In short... The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. 
the anointed one, the deliverer, and he will deliver. Christmas means Jesus is the light of the world. Uh, There is total darkness over our world today. You don't have to look very far to recognize it. Darkness is running rampant, if you will. But that doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus is still the light of the world. But let's, let's look at Jesus for a minute. I mean, it is Christmas, and it is all about Jesus, so isn't it fitting to talk about Jesus? Point number one, Jesus is fully God and fully man. Right, Being that he was fully man, he had to enter this world the same way we do. Right, Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, some of you may be offended at this, but um, the way babies come into the world, it's very natural, if you will. Uh, it, it's very uh, natural in a sense that God has said, be fruitful and multiply. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask, ask your mom. Ask somebody you're close to. But it's natural. The way babies are born and the way babies are made are natural. And the, the thing about Jesus' birth is that it was very supernatural. There was nothing natural about how Jesus was conceived. Uh, he was conceived by the Spirit. The, the Spirit had every part to do in, in this, which leads us to the virgin birth. All right? I, I think oftentimes, obviously around this time, we kind of, uh, we talk about it at this time. It's the only time we'll talk about it is the virgin birth because it's Christmas, Mary was a virgin, and so we gotta, we got to hit on it at some point, right? But it's very foundational for us as believers. Uh, the virgin birth is one of the pillars that we must rest upon when it comes to our belief. And the arguments run like this. Well, since it's only mentioned in two of the four Gospels, then it's optional, right? The, the virgin birth, because it's not mentioned throughout scripture a lot, then we can pick and choose whether or not we want to believe it, right? Wrong. See, even if something is only mentioned once in God's word, it is not optional. It is God's word, and we are to believe every part of God's word, even if it is only mentioned once. I love what Albert Moeller said. He said, even if the virgin birth was taught by one biblical passage, that would be sufficient to obligate all Christians to their belief. We have no right to weigh the truthfulness of biblical teachings by the repetition in Scripture. We cannot claim to believe the Bible is the Word of God and then turn around and cast suspicion on its teachings. Is it essential for me to believe in the virgin birth? Short answer, yes, it is. Without it, we cannot come to a place of light because the virgin birth speaks of the supernatural coming down to the natural. The Son of God becoming a baby to die as a man. Isaiah 7, uh, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the sign is this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? This word was prophetic, prophesied in Isaiah even before Mary was born. A young girl would be the carrier of the Son of God. And imagine the weight and responsibility of this young woman. The problem is, though, is we put this 
this Virgin Mary on a pedestal. Right? We put the Virgin Mary up here. Here's the thing we have to understand. The Virgin Mary, although she was the vessel chosen to carry God's son, was still a sinner. She still needed to be saved. Just because she was chosen to be the vessel didn't make her this super saint. She was still a sinner. Mary even acknowledges her humble estate. She says in Luke chapter 1, verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant Mary, knew that there was nothing really special about her. This young, young girl chosen by God to carry his one and only son. See, during Christmas, may we choose to adopt the position of Mary. Not just during Christmas, but throughout all of our lives, the position of Mary was a humble position. The Son of God would come through her, ultimately to save us from our sin. I think you all will love this next verse. I know I do. Especially with the way our world is going right now in verse 6. And the government, I mean, we could stop with those three words, really. But in the government shall be upon his shoulder, and that we should be saying what to? Amen. The government rests on shoulders of pretty wicked men. Now, not all people in government are wicked and, and, and make poor choices. There are some godly people in, in government. But from where we're seated and what we see is that the ungodly have taken a prominent position. I'm sure you're familiar with this by now, but we have another mask mandate out. Now, here at Gray Avenue, whether you come with a mask or you don't come with a mask is not a make or break. We're not going to be all judgy and, and, and decide, well, you can't come in the door because you don't, you're wearing a mask. Masks are masks. I think what we need to understand is this. When Jesus makes decisions, it is for our good. It is not to be this controlling type of tyrant, this controlling type of uh, a crazy leader. Jesus will set up shop and he will choose things for us that will benefit us and bring us closer to him. Christmas means, number two, Jesus will one day rule over the kings of the earth. I'm not sure if a lot of politicians understand that, is that their time in that seat is very limited because of what is up ahead. Jesus will come to rule over them. Amen. See, we have so much to look forward to, and obviously this verse is yet to be fulfilled, but what a day that will be. What a day that will be when all of these politicians uh, who, who are in it for themselves, so to speak, will be set aside for King Jesus to, to put the government upon his shoulders. And ultimately, this happening during the thousand-year reign of Christ, Jesus will rule the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I'm sure just like you, uh, just, just like me, you've had this question, well, what happens after a thousand years? Does that mean Jesus' reign is over? Read the next verse. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. That's good news. There will be no end to Jesus' reign. 
Gail Irwin, um, who I, we actually have some of his book, he, books, he wrote the Jesus style, father style, spirit style. But he writes on this. It's kind of lengthy, but it's well worth it. He says, what might such a government look like? First of all, it would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day use their power to build their empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet and make us clean. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. God so loved that he gave. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and skills up to date and assure their own advancement. Jesus brings peace and rest to hearts. He says, the higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible he becomes. But Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. Jesus sought uh, anonymity so he could be useful. Obviously, Jesus is not in charge of the, wa- the halls of Washington, London, Moscow, Baghdad, Paris, or Bonn. So how can we ever believe the government will be on his shoulders? He says, actually, his government shows its workings in wonderful ways. He says, whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. When I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have not heard, I know they are governed by God. So... Indeed, the government is alive and working, often silently, mostly unseen. We can be and are by choice governed by God. Hope and joy and peace and rest cover its subjects. Justice, mercy, and grace amazingly coexist. He says, I like this kingdom. The borders are open. Come on in. Amen? But that's not it. One day the government will be upon his shoulders. But Isaiah told us in verse 6 that Jesus' name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is the meaning of your name? Right? Our our names carry some weight, but Jesus' name. Think about his name. Think about what he would be named, if you will, based off of these characteristics that Isaiah says. I know when we were naming our boys, uh, we had a hard time with our first one because we thought we were set on, ready for this, Winston. We were so dead set on Winston, and we had a pastor come up to us and say, you shouldn't call him that. (laughs) 
And I think it was because there's a cigarette brand named after Winston. And I'm thankful for his advice, right? And so one day, I'm driving, and we were uh, at a church in Irvine down south, and driving, and I was praying as I was going into, into work that day, and, and I just asked, Lord, what do you want us to name our son who's coming? It, this doesn't happen a lot, but I look up, and I'm driving. Well, that happens a lot. That's a good thing, actually. <laughs> But I, lo- I looked up, and I saw the street sign, or the, the exit signs, and it said, Culver, Culver, and it just set in. It, it was like, yeah, that's it. And so I looked at the meaning of it, and in Latin, it means dove, right? If you know Culver, sometimes he doesn't act like a dove, right? Uh, and that's okay. Sometimes he acts like a pterodactyl, uh, but you know what? But his name means dove. It, 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 it's a characteristic of his name. We don't call him Dove. We don't say, hey, Dove, come here. (laughs) But his name means Dove. When you think of a Dove, you think of gentle. We're getting there. I promise you guys. If he's ever punched you, I'm so sorry. I know Doves don't, don't necessarily do that. And then we get to Leland, right? His name. His name means meadow. If you know Leland... You know Leland. Sometimes he's not so much of a meadow. Sometimes he's more of like a bull in a china shop, right? I don't know what the name for that is, but, but names are important. And Jesus, Jesus is named Emmanuel, God with us. But he has some characteristics to describe his name. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. See, Jesus' name would be more than just a name. Christmas means Point number three, Jesus, more than just a name. See, this verse captures the idea that these aren't literal names we call Jesus, but it's aspects of his character. You think about Jesus, and you look at the Gospels, and you look how he counseled people, and how how he became their God, and how he was everlasting because of what he promised to them, and how he brought peace. Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, uh, means that he's fit to guide our lives. I remember uh, when I was interviewing for the, uh, the, the pastorate here, I remember uh, a group of guys, we were talking, and they wanted me to get a, a lay of the land, and, and so the former pastor who was actually here encouraged one of the other guys to, you know, take me over to AAA because they got those giant maps, Right? I'm a millennial, like, I'm looking at this thing like, what What do I do with this? And so I pull it out, I know, I'm not smarter than most, okay? Anyways, instead of using the map, I turned to my phone because it was a more reliable source for where I needed to go or needed to figure out, listen, what the world has to offer you and how you should live your life or or, or anything of that nature, listen, it, it does not compare to the way that Jesus can guide you through life. He, he is better than the maps that we find or the GPS on our phone. Jesus is fit to guide your life. Psalm 32, verse 8, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Aren't you glad that God has his eye upon you? 
He, he sees where you're at. He knows the right counsel to give you as you're in the situations that you're in. Now, you know what the opposite of a counselor is, right? Patient, right? You're a patient, right? You're getting counsel. You're the counselor's patient. Listen, if you're the patient, Jesus is the counselor, and he is more than qualified to give you the guidance you need in your life. Amen. Jesus, our mighty God. Straightforward, Isaiah is not beating around the bush on this. He's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is God, which points straight to his deity. This helpless baby that would lay in this manger was, now this is hard to imagine, I think, for, for some of us, because when I look at my babies that were born, there's no way they could hold anything in their hands, right? But when we look at Jesus, Scripture says that in him all things hold together. This little baby was in control because he's God. Not only mighty God, but our everlasting Father. Now, Isaiah is declaring that ultimately Jesus is creator of all things, even time. And if, he's, he, if he is creator of all things, he's also sustainer of all things. In the snap of a finger, God, in the snap of a finger, God could say, it's done. It's over. Because of his power, because of who he is, he is able to sustain. And since he's able to sustain, doesn't it only make sense for us to bring our cares and worries to him? Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. And Jesus, our Prince of Peace. At Christmas time, I think some of us are often robbed of peace. Right, due to the busyness of the season and the keeping up with, well, I gotta make sure this person has that present and make sure my house is in order because I'm having family over. We get lost in the season and we lose that peace that Jesus has to offer. And we wonder, where do I find the peace? Let me tell you, I've checked. On Amazon, it's not there. Peace is not found in a department store or on Amazon. Peace, lasting peace, the Prince of Peace is only found in here. In Christ, you will find the peace that you're looking for. Christmas means that you and I can have peace. Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. And maybe some of you need exactly that, peace. Don't go to Amazon, don't go to Target, don't go any, to any of these stores. Go to Jesus. Jesus has the peace that you, you and I so desperately need. Christmas means that we can come to Jesus and find counsel, stability, peace, and power. Maybe you're looking for one of those today. Look no further than Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending, for sending Jesus. It's crazy to think that a little baby born in a manger, born of a virgin, the story is incredible, but to think, to think of this baby having the whole world in his hands,
only goes to show that, Jesus, you are God. And so, Lord, we praise you for coming to us in such a humble way. Lord, we thank you for who you are, how you are our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. Jesus, we need you in every aspect of our lives, not just in the Christmas season, but in every season of life. And I pray that if there's anyone in here today that hasn't accepted you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts to do that today. All they need to do is confess that you're Lord and that you are Savior. So Jesus, we thank you for what you have for us. Lord, may we hold on to the promise that one day the government will be upon your shoulders. And what a day that will be. So Lord, I just lift up every person in here, those watching online, that you would just help them to remember that peace is found in you, for you are our peace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hello all, and thank you for checking out this episode of the Gray Avenue Christian Church Podcast. For any more information about who we are, uh, feel free to check out our Facebook and our website. Again, thank you for your support, and uh, we will catch you next time. Have a blessed week.